good morning. I can't believe you're here today. This is, this is supposed to be the worst attended Sunday of the year. I don't know if you knew that or not. I guess you didn't get the memo, huh? This is really exciting. I, I tell my wife on Sundays like this, this is why we have a lot of kids for these bad attended Sundays. Then we can spread them out and make it look like there's better attendance. But um, man, I, I am so encouraged. I really am. Uh, with your presence. So thank God. That's really neat. Well, that's the last time that we uh, see that bumper video for our sermon series, It's Not About Us. We start with a brand new series in just a couple weeks, and it's um, Church on Purpose. And we're going to be starting this series really to hone in on why has God created church? Why do we exist here at East Bay Calvary Church? And what does he want us to do here for our future, and I'm really, really excited about that. You'll be able to see that bumper video uh, next week, and we'll start the series in two weeks. But let me just say, today also marks a finish line. We asked you 50 days ago to commit to 50 days of prayer for East Bay Calvary Church, and you're wondering, has God answered our prayers? I'm here to say he has. Um, This summer, You've done some amazing things with God's help and blessing. And uh, as we mentioned a number of weeks ago, our ministry with God's blessing has reached over 500 children and teens with ministries and missions teams, which is just a tremendous thing. And we're so excited about what God's done with that. You've also generously welcomed a new pastor and family with kindness and love, and um, and we've been the beneficiaries of that. And then, of all things, you've shown up this summer, along with many others. I don't know if you realize, but we've had an uptick in our church ministry, and uh, these are the best July and August average attendances that we've had in over four years. Isn't that amazing? So thank God for that. It's a real blessing. We tell Michelle Jose in the office that it's all because of the way she changed the bulletin. That's what has drawn everyone out. So, um, so excited uh, for what God's done. I'm, I'm very confident we're going to see many reasons, many reasons to celebrate our God together in the months and years ahead. And there's a lot of things to be done, positive adjustments to be made. And our discussion on our ministry's mission and future is going to be a big launch of that starting in two weeks. But for now, today is our last message in this series on It's Not About Us. And let's just uh, cover what we've gone through. Obviously, the very first week, we talked about it's not about us, it's about God. It's totally about God, and we discussed how great he is. And then we went from there, and we, we mentioned it's not about our desire. It's about his word. Then we mentioned it's about his plan. And then we worked through such a significant message on Jonah when we talked about it's all about his mission. Then we talked about it's about his timing. It's about his character. And today we're going to talk about it's all about his worship. It's all about his worship. And I'm going to give you a jump start uh, with our discussion today. Turn to the book of Genesis And if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, this is going to be the easiest Sunday for you to find where we're looking at 
Um, if you have a Bible with you, it's the very first book of the Bible. Uh, certainly, if you want to pull out your iPad or iPod or whatever, you'll be able to find it there. Genesis chapter 1 is where we're going to land this morning. Now, when we talk about worship, I don't know what goes on in your mind, but I'll tell you for me, here's the very first thing. We say worship, and the first thing that pops in my mind is music. We'll be talking about singing. We're going to be talking about uh, songs and, and how we, we echo out God's praises with what we sing together. And actually, we're not going to be talking or even mentioning music today because worship is so much more than that. Worship is seeing and proclaiming the great value and worth, the great value and worth of another. And sure, we can do that with music, and we do that with music, but today I want to share you the greatest way that you can worship God, the greatest way you can worship God, and it's not with our singing. And it's more than attending a worship service like this. I worship God because I was in a worship service even better than that. And here's the main, the main premise. Here's what it is. You'll never worship greater, and we won't. We will never worship greater than when we live our purpose to resemble God. You will never worship greater or be more fulfilled than when... We live our purpose to resemble God. I can, I'm, we're going to talk about this in a moment, but there's a special video I want you to see that highlights it for us. Watch this. I've been wrestling with purpose. What was I created for? I'm more than what you see on the surface. See beneath my skin and scars, I'm skinned and scarred, marred and twisted, scarred by the past I need to be lifted, and sometimes I question my own existence. What was I put here for? In my seams, it seems that there seems to be more. It's like I'm a light, unplugged from the socket. I mean, do I really exist to put money in my pocket? This nine to five feels like a nine to nine. My mind entwined, I pass the time, life circles me as I wait. What is my estate? I feel like I was made for something great and yet I can't quite put my finger on it. But when I look at my fingers and I see their design, I realize I'm one of a kind and something created me. No, someone created me. And that someone made me for a reason. Even though it's clear the past years have been treason, I still sense this drawing, this calling, that even in the midst of my falling, there was someone who died to pick me up, someone who rose to fix me up, someone who's coming back to lift me up. And that someone is Jesus. See, God made me for a purpose. And when I delight in him, it's brought to the surface. So you'll never worship greater than when you live your purpose to resemble God. 
You'll never worship greater and you'll never be more fulfilled than when you live your purpose to resemble God. So let's talk about it here this morning because we know on the other side, not only will you never be more fulfilled than when you live your purpose to resemble God, you never feel more empty than when you do not live your purpose to resemble God. And I know this to be true because how many people do you see that our world looks at and says, wow, they've got it all. You know, what could you want more than what they have? And the people that we end up emulating when they don't live their purpose to resemble God, all of a sudden you find out that your favorite movie star has OD'd. Or your favorite music singer has just killed himself. Or your, your favorite individuals that you've looked up to in life and all of a sudden they've ended their marriage or they've gone astray or something has happened radically and you realize when we don't live our purpose to resemble God, we're empty, totally empty. Cartoonist Ralph Barton said, I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. And after he said that, in his suicide note, he took his life. So we asked today, what's my foundational purpose? What is my foundational purpose? And I'm here to say our foundational purpose is to resemble God. So you there, we all together in Genesis chapter one. How about we stand together and we'll look at <clears throat> two verses of scripture. And this is where we're gonna land uh, for our discussion this morning. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. <clears throat> and here's the whole creation account. And we've just gone through five days of creation in Genesis 1, and then we end up on the sixth day of creation. <clears throat> and that's verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And God, we ask this morning, just as a big family together, not only open our ears and open our minds, but God, open our hearts to embrace the greatest purpose we could ever have been given. And it's the one you gave us from the very start. And I pray, God, as we walk out of here, even if we never sing another musical note the rest of our lives, may our worship be better than ever and show a watching world their greatest purpose they could ever have. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all East Bay Calvary said, hey, have a seat, folks. I was created to resemble God. If you have your study guide, pull that out. We're gonna work through our notes this morning. I was created to resemble God. That's our foundational purpose is what we find out here in Genesis in chapter one, verses 26 and 27, I was created to resemble God. Now there's a really key verse, uh, word in these verses that God 
draws out for us to understand. It says, let us make mankind in our image. And so here's this word image that we see in the text. It's mentioned a couple different times. And this word image literally means a shadow or a phantom. Now understand when God said he's creating mankind in his image, realize God isn't making more gods. He's not making a God, but he's making something that resembles God. And one of the best visuals I could give is from about 42 years ago, when I was in kindergarten. I can see some of you doing the math right now. I was in kindergarten and they had, maybe some of you remember those overhead projectors. Remember the overhead projectors? And, and I remember um, the teacher would say, now stand sideways and they'd have the, the light go across my face and there was my shadow, my image on the, the wall. And they had a piece of paper there and then they would draw the outline of our head and our nose and lips and the whole thing. And so here was this image of me. Now I would look at it, it wasn't me, obvious, but it was an image, it was something that resembled me and I colored it in and took it home and showed mom and dad and I'd say, hey, look, look at this, this is me, this is what I look like. And that was one of my first visuals of what image really is. And so we kind of get a sense from this text, God is creating mankind to resemble who he is, to replicate who he is. When people look at this image, they realize it's patterned not after our own self. It's not patterned after all of the creative order to this point. We were created and patterned after God. We were created to resemble God. Now just think about this. There's no greater purpose. Can you think of one? What is really a greater purpose you could ever have than resembling God? You think of one? I can't. Replicate a pop star? A movie star? Your favorite senior pastor? Your NASCAR driver? Really? Do any of those even come close than the grand purpose of resembling God? And I just want you to you see something. You can psych your friends out at work if they say, you know what, someone told me I look like a movie star. You can say, that's nothing, man. I actually resemble God. You'll need to explain yourself after that, but it's true. Now, now note this in the text. At this time, and I think these may be a few blanks for you to fill in, at this time, God reveals some things about himself. He reveals his triunity. <coughs> and if you'll see here, um, verse 26, it says, then God, which is in the singular, then God said, let us, in the plural, let us make man. And so God's saying, let us. And so he's revealing something about himself. 
in the very first chapter of the Bible, something that's unique, something that's different about him than anything else in all the created order. And God's saying, you know what? I am singular, and yet I exist internally in plurality. And we all know that that is God the Father. Say it with me, God the, and God the, yes. And so here's these three distinct, co-equal, co-eternal persons that exist within this one individual of the Godhead. And you say, Pastor, how can that be? That's something beyond what anything I can ever imagine. And I, I say with you, yeah, I know, I know. And if I could reason God completely in my little pea-sized brain, he would actually be pretty small. I'm fine with the concept that God's bigger than anything I can imagine because he is. So in this very first chapter, God's revealing his triunity. It mentions he's focused on replicating his image. He has already created all of the stars, the moon, all the planets, all of the universe. He's created everything that is on our globe. And his intention here on day six is no longer to be thinking about all of this other stuff, his intention on day six is, I want to create something that resembles me. I want to create something that's going to replicate me on this globe. And that's his intention that we see. And then here's another thing. At this stage in history, God is all spirit. He's 100% spirit. At this point, Jesus had not come in the flesh. And so God the Father, God the Son, God, the spirit were all immaterial. They were completely spirit. So the human features that we have, our feet and our hands, our bodies, and all of this that we see is not what God is intending to replicate. He's spirit. And so he has other things he intends to replicate of himself apart from these things that we have on us. His intention by his image is to replicate his attitudes, his attributes, his actions. You think of things like love and righteousness and forgiveness and mercy and grace, justice and kindness. You think of his humility, patience, self-control, peace, all of these things, God's saying, I want something on that big round rock that resembles who I am in those ways. And the last thing you need to see is mankind is at this stage in the game stripped down to its bare purpose. Think about it. What did man have at this point? What did man have? I'm going to tell you what he had. He had nothing. He didn't have a house, right? Didn't have a job. You know, some of these things that we find our purpose and significance in. He didn't have a house. He didn't have a job. He didn't have sports or pop icons to look after and say, now that's who I'm like. He didn't have hobbies yet. Didn't have clothes. Some people find their identity in what they wear. 
And so when you think about it, he's stripped down to his bare purpose. He didn't have a civic position. He didn't have possessions. He doesn't even have a penny in his pocket. In fact, he doesn't even have a pocket when you think about it. Here's two phrases I want to give you. And this is the whole message in two phrases. And this is what I want you to walk away with today. You can have nothing and be everything you were created to be. You realize that? You can have nothing and be everything you were created to be. Conversely, you can have everything and be nothing of what you were created to be. Mankind didn't need anything else. It was enough that he was created in God's image. That was what made man significant. That's what makes you significant and me significant. That's what makes us complete. There is absolutely nothing better to be patterned after in all of creation. Man's likeness to God brought worth and value and intimate significance all by itself. And here's the most awesome thing. After God made the stars and the planets and everything that we look at and say, wow, he said, it's good. After God made all of the fish in the sea and the birds of the air and everything that we look at and say, wow, it's incredible. He said it was good. After he made these mountains and these awesome trees that we look at and marvel, he said it was good. But after he made mankind in his image, you know what he said? It was very good. Wow, this is very good. That's our ultimate purpose. Society sells some substitute images. I want to give these to you. Write them down if you would. There are other things besides this. But society's going to say, you know what? Being in God's image isn't enough. Or they're going to say, you know what? You're not really in God's image at all. Uh, one artificial significance or substitute image, people say, you know what? You weren't created in God's image. It's evolution. So you weren't creating God's image. You're, you're this thing that came out of the ocean and it divided and, and over a period of millions and billions of years, all of a sudden here we are here right now. You have no image to bear. You're nothing different than an animal. And so big surprise, that's why our world looks like uh, a bunch of animals roaming around today. It's really getting out of hand. Pleasure. Sometimes they'll say, you know what? Pleasure is, that's the thing. I'll be happy. I'll find fulfillment and significant if I. And so you fill in the blank and, and here's where people say, if I shop and if, if I have certain substances, if I have parties, if I have all of these pleasures, if I have misdirected or improperly directed sexuality, all of these things, people say, there's where you find your significance. 
other people say with their possessions. Our possessions, you know, if I have the best clothes or the best car, the home or the jewelry or the furniture, all these things, if I have that, then I feel like I'm really something. That's when I matter. Sometimes they'll say it's in your occupation or your hobby. You know, if you have the the better job or the greater promotion or you're in the bigger position with more people under you, that's where you find your significance and importance in life. Some people see it's in relationships. In relationships, and certainly God in his triunity shows the importance of relationships. However, this good thing can be a God thing if others become the source of our identity. You know, I'm nothing. Some people say, I'm nothing unless I have a man or unless I have a woman. I'm nothing unless I have children. I'm nothing without my friends. Some people find their significance in relationship. Some people find their significance in the past, in their achievements their accomplishments or their failures. And you realize no matter what we do, there's nothing that makes us more significant than reflecting God's image. And the other beautiful thing of all of this is even our failures won't eliminate the opportunity to restore his image in us. All these other purposes, they may be, temporarily appeasing us, but they will never, ever fully fulfill us. And that's why they don't stop with the latest thing. They need to get the next one, the next relationship, the next self-promotion, the next electronic device, the next best car feature that comes out, the next everything, because sometimes we need that extra fulfillment and the reality is we'll never be more fulfilled when we find ourselves living in God's image. Charles Caleb Colton mentioned this. And it's how we're gonna see how this fits with worship. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. That's the sincerest form of flattery. And so here's how this works. How is this connected to worship? Emulation of another expresses value or worth to them. I love it when my boys come up and say, Dad, I want to be just like you. You know what that does inside here? You know, in fact, last week, my Landon, uh, he, he was... Um, he was downstairs with all the kid stuff, and I guess there's a TV down there and everything we do in here is on TVs um, out there. And so if people are in the foyer, they can see it. If they're down the kids' wing, they can see it. And last week, my landing came up to me and said, Dad, you were on TV. I said, yeah, that's right, son, I was. You know. <laughs> but you know, when they look at you and they say, I want to be just like you. I mean, that's value. It makes, that expresses worth. And when we look at God and say, God, I want to reflect you, 
I want to be like you in this world. That is the greatest form of worship we could ever have. Better than our singing in here. And so ultimately, our very purpose of existence it's not merely a good aspiration, not merely something, you know, I think I'll try, but when we truly resemble God in all of who he is, that's when we find our greatest worship. I want to tell you a story. It's one of my favorite stories ever. This is an example of fulfilling one's purpose and bearing God's image. And it shows not only what it does to resemble God, but what it does for us, where we find our fulfillment in it. Story is called uh, Choosing Mary. It's from a book by Dan Taylor called Letters to My Children. And Dan is writing to his son, Matthew. And here's how it works. Dan says, Dear Matthew, <clears throat> When I was in the sixth grade, I was an all-American. I was smart, athletic, witty, handsome, and incredibly nice. Things went downhill fast in junior high, but for this one year at least, I had everything. Unfortunately, I also had Miss Owens for an assistant teacher. She helped Mr. Jenkins, our regular teacher, she knew that even though I was smart and incredibly nice, there was still a thing or two I could work on. She said, one of the things we were expected to do in grade school was to learn to dance. He said, my parents may have had some reservations at first, but since this was square dancing, it was okay. And every time we went to work on our dancing, we did this terrible thing. The boys would all line up at the door of the classroom then one at a time, each boy would pick a girl to be his partner. And all the girls sat at their desks. And as they were chosen, they left their desks and enjoyed, uh, they joined the snot-nosed kids who had honored them with their favor. Said, so believe me, the boys did not like doing this. At least I didn't. But think about being one of those girls. Think about waiting to get picked. Think about seeing who was going to get picked before you. Think about worrying that you'd get picked by someone you couldn't stand. Think about worrying whether you're going to get picked at all. Think if you were Mary. Mary sat near the front of the classroom on the right side. She wasn't pretty. She wasn't smart. She wasn't witty. She was nice. But in those days, that wasn't enough. And Mary certainly wasn't athletic. And in fact, she had polio or something when she was younger and one of her arms was drawn up and she had a bad leg. And to finish it off, he says she was kind of fat. And here's where Miss Owens comes in. Miss Owens pulled me aside one day and said, Dan, next time we have square dancing... I want you to choose Mary. 
She well as may have told me to fly to Mars, he said. It was an idea so new and inconceivable. I could barely hold it in my head. You mean pick someone other than the best? The most pretty? The most popular when my turn came? It seemed like breaking the law of nature or something. And then Miss Owens did a really rotten thing. She told me it's what a Christian would do. And I knew immediately I was doomed. I was doomed because I knew she was right. And it was exactly the thing Jesus would have done. Said I was surprised, in fact, I hadn't seen it on a Sunday school flannel board yet. Jesus choosing the lame girl for the yeshiva dance or something. It was bound to be somewhere in the Bible, and I agonized choosing Mary would go against all the coolness I had accumulated. And the day came when we were to square dance again. God really loved me, I thought. He'll make me last. Then, picking Mary causes no stir. I will have done the right thing. It will have cost me nothing. But guess where I was put instead? For whatever reason, Mr. Jenkins made me first in line. There I was, my heart pounding. Now I knew how some of the girls must have felt. The faces of the girls were turned toward me, some smiling, and I looked at Mary, and she was half turned toward the back of the room, and her face was just staring down at her desk. Mr. Jenkins said, okay, Dan, choose your partner. I remember feeling very far away. And I heard my voice say, I choose Mary. And never has reluctant virtue been so rewarded. I still see your face undimmed in my memory. She lifted her head, and on her face reddened with pleasure and surprise and embarrassment all at the same time was the most genuine look of delight and even pride that I've ever seen before or since. It was so pure, I I had to look away because I knew I didn't deserve it. And Mary came and took my arm as we had been instructed. And she walked beside me, bad leg and all, just like a princess. And Mary's my age now. I never saw her after that year. And I don't know what her life's been like or what she's doing. But I'd like to think she has a fond memory of at least one day in sixth grade because I know I do. Bearing God's image. Doing something like that 
is better than singing the prettiest song you could on Sunday. Bearing God's image is the highest thing. It's the greatest thing we could ever, ever aspire to. And it's what we were created to do from the very beginning all the way back on day six of creation. And when we bear his image, he's worshiped and we are fulfilled. So let's get down to some nitty gritty. Here we go. Write these down on your page if you would. How can we bear God's image? How can we bear God's image? I just want you to think of the gospel for a moment. Maybe the gospel is something new for some of us. But the reality, things that Jesus does, who he is, his attributes, his qualities, those are the things that we need to resemble in us. And when you think of the gospel, you think of the reality that Jesus, here he is God. Here he is with all of the angelic hosts and everyone in heaven worshiping him. And he comes to earth and humbles himself as a baby and he lives his life here on earth and in obedience to God dies on the cross for people that are undeserving. So when we think of the gospel, we think of the trace of Jesus where we imitate him. And I'm just gonna give you a bunch. Here's some you, you can write down. These are things that so beautifully show worship to God when we emulate things like forgiveness. You'll never be more like God than when you forgive. No one forgives like God. But when we do, that is so God-like. And humility and selflessness, because you know deep down we all are selfish at heart. You think of acceptance and service and unconditional love. Think of kindness and on and on and on the list can go. But if we bear the image of God as he was in the gospel, friend, there's no song we can sing that sounds better than the qualities you live. Nothing. Then consider some of the attitudes of God. Like the fruit of the spirit is love joy. You know, let me tell you one thing. If you want to rock your world and emulate God and his image of people around you, just have joy. So many people walk around like they eat lemon sandwiches, you know, for lunch and, and they're so sour and down and complaining. And you want to be Jesus and emulate God's image of people around you through the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, Goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. How attractive and compelling it is when our attitudes look like God. And then there's our life decisions. There's righteousness of life, good decisions, integrity, character. And I got thinking about it with how beautiful the song is of a life well-lived. 
And we all know one reason why everyone says, oh, I'll never go to church. Because guess who goes there? Hypocrites. And so there's not only a better song to sing than when we resemble God's image, but there's no, there's no greater sour note in the eyes of our world than when we live in a way apart from God's image. We need to genuinely love God. We need to genuinely worship him with our lives. And there's no sweeter note that everyone loves to hear. That's the song of worship. And it doesn't always come out of here. It comes out of here when we live it. How about we look inside for a moment? Would you close your eyes with me? I just want you to think about this one question. One question for you. Think about it. If your voice was gone and you could never sing, how would you worship God? If your voice was gone and you could never sing, how would you worship God? And that's the worship we're talking about today. Apart from music, apart from a worship service, it's your life. It's my life. And it's why we were created in the first place, to bear God's image, to imitate him. And it's the most sincere form of flattery. You got a little work to do today? I think we all do. Would you worship God through this music? There's not going to be any words. We're not going to sing a final song. But look inside and see what ways you can imitate Him to a greater degree to the world around you that is watching. Would you do that during the music? I'll come up at the end of it and we'll finish up together. So all of us can do this because everyone's created in God's image, but some of us, we got a little extra help on the inside. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you believe he died on the cross for your sin. God, God gives you some help with his Holy Spirit in you to help bear that image in us from the inside out. And if you don't have that relationship with Jesus by believing in his death on the cross for you, come and talk to us, would you? That's why we exist as a church. Connect with us in the office or in the foyer. We sure would love to be a part of having you be in the family of God and linked into the same purpose that we are. God, I ask as we finish, may we constantly ask that question, is this your image? 
Am I portraying you to people around me? And God, elevate us to the greatest purpose we could ever have in all of our existence. Being like you to our world and those around us. May it start in our homes, in our marriages, with our families, with our children, with our neighbors. God, use this in a special way to show you to our world. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great vacation weekend. God bless you for being here. We'll see you next Sunday.